All right, once again, welcome everybody. Good to be with you. We've got uh, Barton Kaiser here with us tonight. Barton, Allison, and their uh, four, yeah, four kids, right? Four kids are here with us tonight. Allison is getting the kids to class, I think. But we're so excited that, that they're here. Um, there are quite a few people in this church who know the Kaisers very well and spent quite a bit of time with them in uh, Cusco, Peru over the past however many years, nine or ten years. So Barton's going to, Barton recently, uh, he and his family and some of the other team members there in Cusco have, have come home from Peru to the United States and he's going to kind of do a, a bit of a debrief tonight, I think, on the work that they've done in Cusco. And um, I've just heard so many glowing reports from our folks who've been down there about the good work. And my son, actually, you know, Logan spent some time down there and loved it. And uh, so they've done a good work there. And that work continues. And they're, they're uh, turning their attention to some other things. I think maybe he'll maybe br say something brief about that as well tonight. We're excited about what God has done through them and what he's going to do in the States. And so I'm going to turn it over to Barton Kaiser. Good evening. It's good to be here at the Hoover Congregation. I always enjoy being here with you guys. Very nice uh, congregation and good to see Chuck and Melanie and the whole family and so many others who have, like Chuck said earlier, who have been to Cusco. Uh, yeah, people are waving to me, smiling. So I feel like I'm at home here at Hoover and uh, just enjoy seeing everybody and catching up. And it seems like every time we come, we have a different a new son or daughter with us, but uh, the four I came with last time are the same four. We don't have five. Uh, we're stopping at four, but we're all the kids are here. Allison's here, and uh, we've been spending the day with some of my family that live on the east side of Birmingham, and after tonight, right after Bible classes, we're going to climb in the van and head back to Huntsville. We're staying in Huntsville for just a few months with our sponsoring church that's been with us in Cusco, and that will continue with us as we kind of turn our attention to the Carolinas and Charlotte. And I'll mention that in just a moment. But I just wanted to uh, begin with a few comments of just excitement and, and just how fun it is to be here with you all. And it's always fun when you get to talk about missions. And I know Hoover is a very mission-minded church. You guys are a campaigning church, and you get to go to different places and enjoy being in different locations and working with God's kingdom in those locations. That's always exciting. So again, it's a great environment to come into Hoover and to talk about missions. I want to talk about this uh, topic as we start out this evening, throw out this idea. Have you ever had a big, risky idea? You ever had just a big, idea that just popped in your head maybe one night you couldn't sleep or maybe as you were driving and your mind wandered and you were brainstorming and just this idea came to you and you started developing the idea and you got excited about the idea if you've ever had one of these if I know some of us are inclined to be dreamers you know how it develops it just kind of nags and really uh, gets into your brain and you catch yourself wondering about it and what it would be like and maybe you're thinking about that idea, as I mentioned it tonight. Maybe you're thinking about that time you, you had that idea, and maybe you moved, and maybe you did this investment or whatever. And maybe you have a little bit of regret tonight. Maybe it's nagging at you still. Maybe it wasn't that long ago. 
But I think these ideas that we have are, are wonderful and are a great way to inspire us and challenge us. And I think as we think about missions tonight, and as you think about campaigning and you think about the missionaries you support, and just the local missions as well, I think all of that begins with a big idea, a risky idea. And that's certainly how Cusco started. Cusco, I think about it now looking back, started in the dorm rooms of Fried Hardeman University as we were talking about, me and a, a few buddies, what we would do. You know, it was kind of a big idea. We wondered what would happen. And so we asked this question several times. We asked, uh, in fact, it's such a great question, I put it up here. We asked, what if? We started talking about, what if we did this? And what if we could live overseas? In fact, we weren't talking like that. I was saying, what if we could live in Colorado? Wow, that would be exotic. And, and then we said, what if we could live in Vancouver? That'd be incredible. And then we started marrying people that were a lot smarter and more talented than us. And they said, well, what if we crossed the border and worked in South America? And we all said, I never thought of that. That's interesting. And so the what if began to grew, uh, grow and, and began to uh, formalize and, and take root. And the what if began to develop. And that is really interesting to think about now. But in 2008, we started talking about it. Uh, more specifically, in the framework of a team, a mission team. And we asked the following questions. We said, what if we could do mission work in the neglected region of the Andes? And I remember years ago talking with uh, Mark Blackwelder at Freed Hardeman, and we said, where do we need to work? We're a team, but we don't know where we need to work. And he directed our attention to another guy, uh, Bill Richardson at Harding, uh, who had done a lot of research in Latin America, and he pointed us to the Andes Mountains. He said, you know, the Andean countries, Central America is getting a lot of attention. The European countries, in, the more European countries in Latin America, like Argentina and some others, are getting some more attention because of the livability. But the Andes region does not receive a lot of church planting. They need more attention. And so we, we asked, what if we could go to the Andes Mountains? and begin church planting there. And then we ask this question, but what if we could also establish or be a part of a church plant in South America that grew to 300 plus? That would be incredible. That would, that would be great if God used us to be a part of His church plant and be a part of and experience a, a church plant that grew to 300 plus. That would be an autonomous church plant that could plant other churches. What if we could do that? And so now, you guys have seen the growth in Cusco, and we're praying that it's on a trajectory to be able to uh, reach this goal of 300 plus in worship attendance, and then a membership that could sustain an autonomous congregation. And then we ask, what if we could disciple and form leadership from within, instead of trying to recruit from preacher training schools or or different places and bringing in people from different countries, what if we could grow the church from within? Elders and deacons and evangelists, an autonomous congregation. And so now we have some evangelists who grew up in Cusco, who have been a part of the church plant since almost since the beginning. And elders are, are, are now being considered as we're looking at two men specifically. And so this was a question that really prompted a lot of the action and development towards the goal of leadership within the church. 
And then, fourth of all, we ask this question. What if we could establish a church planning movement? Church planning movement is when you not, you, you not only establish one congregation, but that congregation becomes a sending church that establishes another congregation and then another congregation. And then if the Andes Mountains were once neglected because of a singular work, now it has various congregations in the area. What if we could do that? What if we could teach this church to plant another church? And so looking back on that big what-if question and the big risky idea, what if we could do these things and dreaming big and thinking big and developing this idea, we made a list of what we needed. And I'm acting like we sat down with a pencil and paper and made this list among just us guys, but it didn't happen that way. We sought out a lot of counsel and direction from guys who had done this before. But we said, what will we need to be able to do something like this? So we came up with the following. We said, first, we'll need a compelling vision. We'll need something that will motivate and inspire us, but also as we talk about this vision, it will inspire and mobilize other people. And other congregations will want to be a part of this. And as we arrived at Cusco, the people in Cusco, as they hear the gospel and the vision of what they could be, what God could do in Cusco, that they'll want to be a part of that too. So we said we need to invest in the question why. A compelling vision. Why we're doing this. And that was something that we have been, had, had started over 10 years ago and we're still talking about, we're still putting in front of people today in regards to Cusco. Second, we said we need a united, we will need a united, uh, diverse, and prepared team. I think, uh, look back on it now, and I think about how uh, another teammate and I, Matt Cook, uh, were best friends, and we were developing this team together, and, and Matt and I are a lot alike. But God blessed us, even though we weren't intentional about it, with a lot of diversity. And so a guy completely different from me in every way, I'm talking in terms like this because you guys have been there and know us, a guy completely different from me in every way, Gary Reeves came on the scene and we began working together. And that was a great blessing because it provided diversity on the team. And I think that's important in, in team missions, that we seek out people who are gifted in different ways than us. But then that constant struggle and tension of diversity has to be brought back with unity. And so we focused on unity throughout that time. And then we also said we're going to train ourselves or have ourselves trained properly and prepared so that we can cross cultures in that high stress environment, that we can establish a work, that we can work in, in team missions and we can see a successful church plan as well. So we sought out training. We sought out people who had done this before so that we could learn from them as well. And then third, I think what's equally as important is an urgent timeline. And we always came back to something that was very sobering for us. And today, I can honestly say it's, it's more sobering than it ever has been before. And that is that the missionary's presence is just a stage in the life of the church plant. Even though I don't like to think or talk about it, my time was limited in Cusco. And we always use the phrase, we're here to replace ourselves. And that was a tough pill for us to swallow, but 
it eventually came true. And even though we're now gradually pulling out the missionary presence over the next six years or so, it's a sobering thought to think about. We're here for just a little while. And really, this church will continue to grow without us. That needs to be a part of it. And so we established a 15-year timeline. We said 15 years, and that's it. We need to pull ourselves out throughout those 15 years. It needs to be a strategic exit plan so that we can leave the church in a good way. And so that was one thing that we thought about before we actually went to Cusco. How are we going to leave Cusco? How is this going to work? And fourth, because of that, we said we'll need an intentional strategy. We'll need to know what we're doing. We'll have to have systems in place. We'll have to evaluate those systems. We'll have to think about uh, other systems and, and be intentional about it. And so we needed some systems in place to be able to guide our time there and to be able to refine and evaluate them constantly. And fifth, because of that, we'll need an attitude of learning. I can say that I had it all figured out in 2008 before I left for Cusco, Peru. And I left in 2000, at the end of 2018, and I learned that I didn't have any, much of anything figured out when I arrived, and I was still scratching my head a lot as I left. I learned uh, t that a, a, uh, a position of humility is a lot more effective than, than an arrogant teacher. And that crossing cultures and learning from others is one of the best things that we can do in preaching the gospel. And so thinking about an attitude of learning, constantly learning from others, asking questions, learning before we uh, uh, do a church plant from others. You know, we're, we're looking at Charlotte now and thinking about it. And so what we're doing now is learning from people that are planting churches in North America, learning from people that are working with Hispanics in North America, because it's completely different. So this is actually carrying on into what we're looking at now. But an attitude of learning is very important. And sixth, we said we'll need a support system in Cusco. We will need a network of individuals that we can rely on. And so we benefited and depended upon the monthly support here, the prayers, care packages, visiting campaigners. You guys have been a big part of that. Stateside co-workers and just interest, uh, genuine interest, not the same old questions uh, and the pat on the back, and that's great. But genuine interest about what all is going on, interest in our kids, and just that's part of the support system. And that's made a big difference in the last nine to ten years in Cusco. This is a picture we took in the streets of Cusco um, the week before we left. And uh, we, that was one thing we wanted to do before we left. And we were walking around in Cusco, and, and you guys who have been there have come across this before, but there was a lady with an alpaca there, so it wasn't our alpaca, although it looks like it was ours in that picture, and we didn't bring it back with us either. It wasn't a pet or anything, but uh, we were able to take advantage of that moment and turned out to be a great picture, but it means a lot to us now. I'm thinking about that, and uh, that uh, picture defines for me how important a support system is, and so one of the things I wanted to do in, in the presentation this evening was just to say thank you, express our gratitude to the Hoover Church for so many of you who, who came to visit Cusco, hopefully continue to visit Cusco, but supported us financially as well, allowed us to come and share stories about what was going on in Cusco. All of that made a big difference. But all six of these things, we could add to the list, it's not exhaustive, 
and we could get more details, but they made a big difference, and it was a, a good list of what we needed before we arrived to Cusco. What would it take to make sure that this was a church planting movement in the neglected areas of the Andes Mountains? But our questions were rooted in the same challenge and inspiration that shapes the heart of every missionary, this what-if question. But it wasn't too long until we arrived to obstacles and, and that inspiration was challenged by just the daily tasks and also the frustrations and the tension and the stress that's so common in the mission field. And I thought about that and I, I was making these notes to share with you this evening and I thought about the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. And in verse 16, uh, he encounters Jesus and uh, he acknowledges Jesus as a great teacher and he's talking with them and he says, you know, I do all of these things and, uh, and, and Jesus mentioned those specifically to him and he, he says, what else do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And in fact, in verse 16, uh, we see this playing out and he says in verse 16, now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. In essence, he's saying, what if I have eternal life? What if I could get that? What, what will it take to be able to do that? And he encounters an obstacle, comes face to face with an obstacle that challenges that what if question. And I think I, I just want to use that passage to illustrate this um, element in life or what happens in life whenever we think and dream big as he was in a relationship with Jesus thinking about that and then we encounter obstacles because Jesus responds in talking about what uh, had to be done and he says to him you you must sell all your goods and give them to the poor and then come and follow me and you know the story what happens afterwards the rich young ruler just couldn't do it he came across this obstacle, but he couldn't respond. And he walked away, thinking about what he could have had, but what he couldn't let go of. And in verses 25 through 26, we read, When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Well, we have that what-if moment what if I could do this? What if I could have eternal life in this case? Or in our case, in a smaller way, we were asking, what if we could uh, be a mission team that went and church planted in the Andes Mountains and started a church planting movement? What if we could do that? And then, as it always happens, obstacles and challenges come in the way, and it's not exactly what we thought it would be. And even it's, it's not even the obstacles that we thought we would encounter. Different things play out before us. And we're challenged. We ask this question. If we can't do it, who's going to do it? And the answer is, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so I've been talking about us this evening, but really what I want to do is use the rest of our time to talk about God's transforming power in Cusco. And how really it was God that was causing the growth, as Paul said in Corinthians. It was God using us to be able to plant seeds of the gospel, His gospel, in Cusco, and His transforming power 
in the lives of the Peruvians there. So we'll look at some evidence of this, and we'll kind of compare how we started and how it left in 2018, and what I'm continuing to hear in 2019 of what's going on in Cusco. But the first thing I want to mention this evening is uh, the example of uh, just how worship attendance has grown throughout our nine years there, or eight years since we started the church. 2010, we started from scratch. I've got a picture there of the original team when we arrived in the latter part of 2009. Well, we started from scratch with each missionary uh, just being there in the worship services. You know, we would count attendance, and in this case, we would count maybe nine. You know, it was just the missionaries there as we were thinking about starting from zero. And I remember standing uh, at the door after inviting people all week. Sunday morning at 10.30 had come. We were standing there with worship programs. We were praying that people would walk through the door, and there was that anxiety, watching the clock, thinking about you know these individuals that we had specifically invited, asking, are they going to come? Are we going to have that awkward moment where we're worshiping in Spanish, but we're just Americans? Is that going to happen? Fortunately, it never happened in our uh, nine years of being there. But you could kind of maybe even relate to that anxiety of just starting from zero. But now in 2019, what I'm hearing is that the worship attendance is averaging between 120 to 130. This was one of those things, you know. What if we could have a, a worship of attendance of 300 plus? We were looking in Latin America, especially in South America, at worship attendances of 20 to 30. What will it take in thinking about that? And so we see God's transforming power as He took a, a small group and He continues to add to that group of disciples, a group of individuals that have formed a Christian community there in the mountains of Cusco and have become a church, a congregation. Another example of this is in 2010... We spent many weeknights every week, especially in those first years, many weeknights in uh, the cold auditorium of an ex-cinema, uh, filthy cinema, uh, doing one-on-one -on -one studies with people we, we just met, having conversations with them, listening to their stories, doing those studies. And now, over the eight years of being there, eight years later, God has blessed the mission work there with over 100 baptisms. And many of those baptisms have grown into uh, mature disciples who are now taking on leadership and now considering being leaders in the church and also bringing in others. And now they're studying the Bible and they're doing baptisms. I know one of our members baptized an individual just last week. A member who had struggled with alcoholism his whole life since he was 14 years old. I remember studying the Bible with him, and now he's studying the Bible. Now he's baptizing. And so it's interesting to think about it. And that wasn't part of our what if. I, you know, I couldn't imagine doing or being a part of something like that, but it was God's transforming power. With man, it's impossible. With God, it's possible. It can be done. Another example of this is in 2010... The missionaries did everything for the new church plant. And I have an example here of after worship. I remember just standing around after worship, uh, having awkward conversations with newcomers. Awkward maybe because of my Spanish, but awkward because nobody, we didn't know each other. 
But I could look around and I could see that each conversation was being had with a missionary. In other words, Peruvians weren't having conversations with other Peruvians. They wanted to talk to missionaries, just missionaries. And that always bothered us as we thought about Christian community and, and what it would take to have a true congregation of believers who depended on each other. You know, as the missionaries weren't always going to be there. And thinking about that now in 2019, the Cusco congregation is a thriving community of Christians who depend on each other. And I remember in the last year there, there were activities going on that I didn't even know about. Peruvians were getting together in each other's homes. They were doing service projects together. They were taking on responsibility without the help, without even the knowledge of the missionaries. And that was a, a good sign of, of the fact that the church was on the right course. I have a, a picture here of two of the Peruvian evangelists, Percy and Elvis, and I know I'm talking about maturity, and at the same time I put, put a picture of Percy and Elvis up there. Uh, those guys are, are great to be around, a lot of fun to be around, and they are some of the most mature Christians there, even though sometimes they may get in a wrestling match or something like that. I'm talking to the campaigners that have been there, uh, but I put them up there because they are leaders in the church, and they went through that process and are continuing to go through that process of maturity. And now, as I mentioned, we're looking to Peruvian men who could serve as elders, two in particular that have great families, good families and, and good wives, and, and could, as I said, these men could serve as elders and shepherds of, of the church there in Cusco. Uh, another example, in 2010, we renovated and rented our first location, and that was a big headache thinking about uh, the cinema that we rented and it had good seating capacity, it had good street presence, it was accessible right in the heart of the city. Unfortunately, we, we had to leave because a supermarket uh, could pay more rent than we could, so we couldn't renew our rent. We had to find another place, and we're in a current, our current facility is cramped. Uh, we have to have two worship services to accommodate the growth there, uh, so we won't have stunted growth. And now in 2019, we've been blessed with uh, uh, ambitious uh, building program. We're looking at uh, financing the program through givers in Peru and also givers in the states and people have been and congregations have been really generous towards this program. We feel like a permanent location in the heart of the city will be essential to be able to continue to grow and have an independent and autonomous congregation to take this uh, obstacle away from them of, of the building. And so that was another contrast of God's transformation from just nothing to now filling a building and now looking at uh, having a permanent location there in Cusco. And finally, in 2010, uh, we were asking uh, the original question, how do we establish a church plan? And we're still asking that question in a lot of ways. How do we establish, how do we do this? How do we how do we prepare elders? And fortunately, there's another congregation in Cusco that's been around for uh, 40 to 50 years who have elders. And so we're using kind of those elders to come in and talk to some of the Peruvian men and talk about eldership. But we're, we're still asking these complex questions. How do we do this? But now we're asking a different question. How do we teach a church plant to establish another church? It's the fifth of the five major goals that we've set out to do in Cusco. And I think it's an important one. How can we establish that church planning movement 
in the area of the Andes Mountains. And it has to be accomplished before the end of the 15-year missionary presence. What I want to leave you with this evening as we think about these things is this thought. Our faith combined with God's transforming power defines the whole story of the Bible. If you think about it. It defines our story, defines every mission work that has stayed with it, that has continued to, to fight with the tension, if it's on the mission team or just in the community, or struggling with growth and the ups and downs of mission work. I think our faith combined with God's transforming power defines all of those situations. And we could go through Scripture and see examples of that. We could see uh, Abraham, for example, asking the question, what if God is really talking about a generation that will extend past centuries? And we're the result of that promise. But can you see Abraham asking that question? What if? What if there really is something to that? We see Moses, for example, asking that question as he looks at uh, Egyptian slaves, or slaves to the Egyptians is what I want to say, the Israelite slaves. And he asks, what if God could take this group of people, these weak people who have been brainwashed by the Egyptians, who are just uh, not empowered at all, but it looks like they'll be slaves throughout all the generations, what if he could actually take them and turn them into conquerors who could inherit a promised land? What if he could actually do that? We see David as a, a shepherd boy in his youth listening to the, to, to the insults of Goliath. And he asked that question, what if I could take that giant down? What if I could go into the valley and end this right now? We see Mary asking the question, what if I really am carrying the Messiah? We see the apostles as well listening to Jesus as he prophesies about his death and as he is crucified on the cross and, it, and they're closed in to the rooms and hiding from, from the Pharisees, the Jews, and they ask that question, what if he really did rise from the dead? And Paul asking that same question, what if I'm supposed to go to the Gentiles? What if I really am chosen to be the missionary to all these other nations as well? So it's over and over again in Scripture, what if? What if I'm supposed to be doing these things? And, and thinking about Paul, I think he's a classic example here because he is a missionary. We often go to Paul in the book of Acts and the letters and think about all the problems that he inherited and, and the, that followed him around in his missionary journeys. And we look at 2 Corinthians 11, for example. You can look at that and survey what he's writing about. And you can look at the fact that that maybe in Acts, as he goes through his conversion, he has that what-if moment. What if I really am called to go to the Gentiles? But then the obstacles come. We see it in Acts. And there's so many times where Paul is just up against tension and frustration and violence and threats. And then he writes about it all in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about the beatings and being shipwrecked and being lost and and just over and over again of people threatening his life. And so that's there as well. But then third of all, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, for example, he comes back to the transforming power of God. Because in the first part of that chapter, he says, 
God has given me a thorn in the flesh, messenger of Satan, asking for deliverance. But in the end, he doesn't get the deliverance, but he learns a valuable lesson about the transforming power of God. In first, or 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, he says, And he said to me, God speaking to Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What is that? That's, again, the transforming power of God. That's the fact that, you know, we may have these moments of inspiration, and then we go through the valleys and just the obstacles and, and the problems, but then we learn a lesson about God's transforming power. Really, it all depends on Him. Really, He's causing the growth in all of these. And so looking back, I can see, if you're a visual person, I had to put this in there. If you, if you think about, it can be a cycle for us. And I can see it over and over again. Us asking, what if I could be a part of this? What if, what if we could do these things? What if we could establish congregations? Uh, what if we could church plant? What if we could be a part of Mission Works? And maybe it uh, creeps into your life, your personal life. What if we could do these things in my life? But then we take action, and there's failure. We experience failure. And a lot of times, people just eliminate themselves from the greatest blessings of that cycle. Because right around the corner is God's transforming power. We saw biblical stories of it. I can now look back and see it in Cusco. Maybe you can see it in your life. And so now, thinking on the, all that, I mentioned... And Chuck mentioned earlier, Charlotte, we're now looking and asking ourselves, finding ourselves in that cycle again. What if? What if we could church plant among Hispanics in North America? What if, as many are pointing to the situation of the church in North America, asking, what is it that we need to do? What if we could use an avenue, an opportunity that God is giving us to church plan, to establish autonomous congregations among the growing 60 million plus Hispanic population in the U.S.? And so we've set our sights on a city that is one of the fastest growing in the United States. We'll be moving to a county that's the sixth fastest growing county in the U.S., and it's got 600,000 Hispanics living there, and it's growing every day. And we're asking that question, what if? And we're going to have to take action one day. We won't have it all figured out. And then right after we take action, we'll fail the first day. I know it. And we'll have obstacles and, and pressure and tension, and there'll be uh, threats to the unity of the team and, and just problems and, and problems back home with support and just all kinds of things. But we'll turn back to God every time and know that His transforming power is good and faithful and responds to our faith. Upon hearing the gospel, I think about personally, we ask that question, what if, don't we? Maybe you, you heard about the stories in Scripture and that inspired you and you thought, what if, what if I could be a part of the church? What if I could respond to the question uh, of the gospel? What if God could save a sinner like me? And so those are things that may be going through your head tonight. But I'll share as we close this story about that with one of our good friends. Uh, some of the campaigners know, may know uh, Willie, who's pictured there. 
uh, he's pretty active in the church. And I think if you're in the same building with Willie, you meet him eventually because he's pretty outgoing. But his daughter's pictured there with him, Maria Pia. And she's more shy. Um, some of you may know her, have met her before, but she has an interesting story. And so I'll, I'll share that with you as we close. And I think she finds herself in that cycle that I illustrated uh, before. I think she finds herself in that as well. But several years ago, uh, my oldest, uh, Cole, he's in the auditorium right now, so I'll be real careful about what I say about Cole. But um, Cole was in, uh, was in school, and uh, he was in an all-Spanish-speaking school. His Spanish is better than mine. And uh, he studied and learned there for several years. But he had a lot of good friends in the school, and one of his friends uh, was Maria Pia's daughter, uh, Mariana, and they really uh, played together a lot, and they actually, we ended up living in the same neighborhood, so even after meeting, their friendship uh, grew even more. But before any of that happened, they were both invited to the same birthday party for another classmate, and so Allison took Cole to the birthday party, and there at the birthday party, she met Maria Pia. And they hit it off, and they formed a friendship, and Maria Pia was new to the city of Cusco. She's from Lima, and she had a hard time uh, putting down roots in Cusco, and so she was excited to hear, first of all, she found a friend in Allison, and second of all, that Allison was a missionary because she was looking for a church home. So Maria Pia started visiting with us. She started attending uh, a group in our home and learning about the Bible in our home as well. She, uh, she and her family became really good friends with our family. And after studying with her and encouraging her and, and thinking about her problems and her personal issues, she was able to be baptized. And as we thought about her baptism, she said, I want to be baptized, but I want to be baptized on May 1st. And I said, well, that's a couple of weeks from now. Why do you want to be baptized on May 1st? And she said, well, May 1st is just... An important date for me. A lot's happened on May 1st. Good things and bad things. And she shared with me people that she lost and, and just big things, great things that happened on that day as well. And she said, I want to be baptized on May 1st. So I said, okay. And so we went out to the river. It was ice cold. I didn't want to, I didn't want my head under that water, but she wanted to be baptized in the river. So we went out to the river and she was baptized. It was a great day. And then later on that day, we, we were at the house, and we were kind of winding down, and Allison was looking at Facebook, and they have an app on Facebook that kind of puts what happened on, on that day, today, what happened a year ago. And so she was looking at that, and she looked and found a picture of her at a birthday party one year before, happened to be May 1st. She had met Maria Pia on the same day. And I always thought that was interesting that she was baptized a year later. We shared that with Maria Pia. She had no idea that she had met Allison on that day as well. But I just think about the friendship formed through that event and, and learning about that process of what if I could be a Christian? What if I could be baptized? What if I could follow Christ? What if I could be a part of the church? And then she put that into action, and sure enough, obstacles came and failures came, but God's transforming power stayed with her. And she is now a faithful member of the church. And pretty soon after that, 
Maria Pia, after being baptized, grew in the Christian community, was a part of that, uh, grew in maturity, and she started asking another question. What if my parents, Willie and Cecilia, what if they could come and be a part of this church? Willie and Cecilia had struggled uh, with cocaine addiction for decades in Lima. Lima's a tough city. It's uh, 11 million people, a lot of drugs, a lot of crime in the city, and they had been caught up into that, and they were now in their 60s. Maria P. was asking that question. What if they could come over the mountain, and what if they could be in this city of Cusco that's calmer and in this church, and, and their lives could be changed? That's exactly what happened. Both were baptized. Both became members of the church. And now we have a married couple in the family, or in the spiritual family of the church, whose daughter's attending there, who her daughters are attending as well, three generations in the church. And, and the family's growing, and the church is growing through that way. I think that's what happens when we respond in faith and think about those questions. And when we persevere through obstacles and we allow God to bless us and and to be faithful and good to the challenges in this world. And I think back on Cusco and I think about how I wouldn't change that experience for anything. And I know that some of you, a lot of you who have been on campaigns, you wouldn't change it for anything because we get to be witnesses of that transformation firsthand. And so I want to close tonight with that thought. I want to express my gratitude again to the Hoover Church. And uh, I want to thank you for the example that you're setting in serving all over the world in places that need help, that need more workers. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Father, thank you for the opportunity this evening to celebrate and think about what's been done in your creation as we've fallen away, as we've uh, made this life complex with our sin and failures and, and trying to solve it ourselves. And then we finally turn back to our Father who's blessed us, who's prepared for us a way to be able to once again be in a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you. We glorify you. We thank you for your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the great opportunity that we have and the blessing that we have to be able to take that name into all places of the world and share it with others who are suffering from consequences of sin, but also know deep down that they need a relationship with you through Jesus. We pray that you'll also give us more faith and courage as we think about the future, to step out on faith so that we can do more in your name, to sacrifice more, to, to be an example to others so that more and more can come to you and come to know you through your son and that they can be saved and uh, live a life that's free from the consequences of sin. We're thankful once again for your son, Jesus, and it's through his name we pray.